0: From Beyond
1: the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight featuring commentary by Democrat management consultant Patrick Hanley and Republican lawyer Josh Cantrell and Professor Robert Pape from the University of Chicago, One of the world's foremost authorities on suicide bombing. Our program tonight coming to you from our own base at WIND AM 560 Radio in beautiful Elk Grove Village. Our program is recorded tonight because this obviously is a Labor Day weekend, so we won't be taking telephone calls. But again, we thank you very much for joining us uh, for the full broadcast. We have lots to talk about this evening. And uh, I want to begin as we did last week on this program because obviously uh, a lot takes place. Uh, from week to week on this program but again uh, tonight's program is recorded so we're assuming the world is not going to come or has come to an end since we recorded this broadcast so I do want to ask our guests uh, to look ahead uh, to begin with this evening and and ask what you suspect uh, will happen now that all US military personnel are out of Afghanistan and the preliminary reports that are coming in is that the Taliban has been cooperative with the US military in providing even some escorts to bands of Americans trying to get to the airport at the, uh, the closing minutes of uh, uh, of the airport's uh, activities and uh, are you optimistic that uh, some sort of uh, rational thinking on the part of the Taliban is something that might be on the horizon. Patrick, we're going to start with you. Patrick Ganley.
2: Thanks Bruce. I think we've been very lucky with our relationship with the Taliban for the last two weeks. Obviously these aren't folks that we want to be uh, in a relationship for, for very long. There's, there's not a lot you can do to, to trust them and they've betrayed us in the past. Uh, that said, I think the tremendous uh, pressure is not only from the United States and the fear of our return but also from China and Russia and Iran and neighbors have forced the Taliban to play somewhat of a responsible role in this transition. So I'm very, very cautiously optimistic, but I also wouldn't be surprised if things uh, got worse quickly.
1: Josh Cantrell, your reaction?
3: Uh, I would say that I'm cautiously pessimistic in the <laughs> sense that, uh, I, I mean, I share Patrick's uh, hope and, and, and very much hope that that is the case, but what concerns me is that, yes, the, pal- the Taliban has betrayed us in the past, and how effective um, will the Taliban Be at keeping uh, more radical elements out of Afghanistan, like ISIS and uh, and the like, and we we just don't know that yet. It is going to take a lot of pressure by China, by Russia, and others. It can't just be the United States to keep some level of stability there. Um, I I hope I'm wrong about this, but I fear that we're going to see more terrorist attacks.
1: Do you believe that that the Taliban and ISIS-K really despise one another, which is part of the narrative we've been dealing with. Does everybody believe that? You're shaking your head. Yeah. Yes or no?
2: No, I definitely do. I think that's right. I think the, the reality is on the ground is that there is not only one Taliban that is running the show, that is centralized and coordinated. Uh, I've heard it described as a franchise movement. Every 10 folks on the ground across the country have their own agenda, their own revenge, their own mission, and their own sense of loyalty to a central government. So not only do you have Taliban Central, which has spent the last several years in five-star hotels in Abu Dhabi, uh, or, excuse me, in Doha, uh, but then you've also got these other groups like ISIS-K, you've got al-Qaeda likely on the ground. Uh, you also have resistance groups in the north. And so what you have is a very unstable uh, non-equilibrium of powers all staring down the barrel of the gun at one another, uh, which I think... So when
1: when when someone identified as the Taliban mm-hmm. makes a comment that they're going to uh, provide uh, you know assistance for Americans to get to the airport, which they have, mm-hmm. or they have said we're going to do whatever we can to to root out terrorism. We we don't want this to become a, a launching pad for terrorism against the United States. Mm-hmm. That's coming out of the lips of some terror- Taliban. Now is he is he turning around and seeing ten people behind him, or is he seeing ten million people behind him, Josh?
3: Well, I, I mean, it's it's great that they provided the escorts, but yeah, that was escorts to go ahead and get out, America. You mm-hmm. know, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna help get you out. We want you out. That's right. that's our goal. So I don't place a whole lot of stock in in that action. I mean, what we're we're gonna just have to see how centralized they really are, how united the Taliban really is, and if they can really form a some sort of central authority, central government, then that would increase my um optimism that they would be able to fight somewhat effectively the terrorist elements that no doubt are in Afghanistan and will try to test that power
1: because of the devastating economic situation they're going to need money right. and the and the and the the, the question is um, they're gonna get the money from the United States they're gonna get the money from allies they're gonna get the money from the World Bank uh, there's, there's a lot of strings that are attached. And uh, it seems to me that if they're looking for not necessarily legitimacy on the world stage, I don't know whether they really care too much about that, although I think they do more than many conservatives might feel. Um, they, they have to make sure that the, that the bread is on the table, and, and that's, that's going to be a continued issue for them.
2: I think that's right. And I think some sociological context for where these guys are coming from, Uh, generation one of the Taliban is largely dead, right? Generation two of the Taliban spent 20 years fighting a resistance in Pakistan against the United States. Generation three of the Taliban now has more wealth and opportunity than they've had in their entire lives. This is their golden opportunity. And I think unlike terror organizations in the past, which have a lot less to lose, uh, this this generation of leadership has a lot to gain. Um, this isn't, you know, I, I don't put any stock in them building the kind of liberal democracy or society that we would hope for. But I think there is a, a greater stake in the future in Afghanistan than past iterations the Taliban have had.
3: I I, I think that's largely correct. I, I think that the trick for the West, especially if they are giving money to the Taliban to support mm-hmm. the Afghan people and the economy and put food on the table as you said it is how are they going to deal with the inevitable Taliban imposition of social conservative values back on in, in terms of put, pushing Afghan women back the Afghan women have made tremendous gains over the 20 years past 20 years and the freedoms that the Afghan people have enjoyed if they start really going into more of a theo- theocracy and a very strict Islamic sort of regime, um, are Western powers going to continue to support that or not? Should they? Well, I mean, we, we have to see. You know, we should support in terms of food, making sure food is on the table. The president but, has said that. But, but the humanitarian
1: su- efforts on the part of the United States and the Allies appears to be firm.
3: Yes. But I mean, an, an analogy would be, you know, what what happened with when Hamas took over the Gaza Strip mm-hmm. after Israel unilaterally pulled out in 2006, and there was all this talk about, you know, we're going to see a new version of Hamas now because they actually have to govern. That turned out not to actually be the case. Mm-hmm. So again, I hope I'm wrong. I I want. What Patrick is saying to be true. And and, and and it very well could be. When we come back, I want to talk
1: about the media. Are there too many people in the media who are so, so concerned about Joe Biden that they may be rooting against the country inadvertently? Back shortly. 145 over 92.
0: 180 over
4: 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac
5: arrest, and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life.
6: A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke.
7: My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak.
5: Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org.
6: It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'll uh, come back to ask your doctor, check your blood pressure.
5: Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council.
8: It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive. But our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.
9: No word in English language is less convincing
1: Bruce Dumont back. We continue with Beyond the Beltway. No phone calls this evening. Uh, we are recorded because of the uh, holidays, and hopefully uh, you are planning to have a wonderful Labor Day uh, weekend and already are enjoying a part of it on a Sunday night across America. Um, I'm going to get back to uh, the way in which the, the media has responded, and, and specifically I, d- I do want to talk about uh, Fox News, which generally uh, I, am a, I am a supporter of Fox News, I think they do a, uh, I think they do a good job. I think they are fair and objective for the most part, certainly in, in, in comparison with other uh, network news operations. But it seems to me that in the last 10 days, there's almost, there's almost a glee, not, not in the death of, of U.S. Marines and service people. No one is, is uh, smiling over that. There's, there's an infuriation uh, that is there. But there's almost there's a uh, there's almost a constant drumbeat that Biden has really screwed up. And Anthony Blanken is the worst secretary of state ever. And everything is 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 the worst at this and the worst of that. And uh, there doesn't seem to be any any objective view that this is a mess. Mistakes were made. We should know who made the mistakes, but. I almost get a, a sense of glee that things are so mucked up. Well, Patrick, you're shaking. Your, you're both shaking okay. your heads. So, uh, Josh, I'll let you respond first.
3: Yeah, I, I, w- when you were I haven't seen the Fox coverage. I've been traveling a, <clears throat> a, a good bit the past mm-hmm. two weeks, but I'll say this: um, when you were describing it, it sounded a lot to me like the mainstream media for four years under Donald Trump, unhinged. Rooting for him to lose, saying all kind of things about him that turned out not to be true. He was a Russian agent, collusion, all of that mm-hmm. stuff that we went through as a nation, and um, that doesn't make it right though. It mm-hmm. doesn't make it right. And no, I
1: think that's a good point.
3: A- and I I would just say say this that objectively, even publications like the New Yorker, the New York Times, which I read both of those. Have been incredibly critical of Biden. Yes, they have. There is a lot to be critical of Biden about, but do it in a way that doesn't seem like you're piling on. So that that would be my thought about that. Yeah. Um, don't act like the media did for four years under Donald Trump.
1: Patrick, you you're yeah. kind of smirking at some of those comments.
2: Well, <laughs> I'm I'm not going to take that bait. I don't know. I don't know if I can. But I I will agree, I I don't think I expect Fox News to ever be uh, fair and objective, but in the last several weeks, it's certainly gone off the deep end. Uh, And I would say that I think there's a feeling in the right that this is the one thing they can really tack on to Biden, that this great foreign policy, quote unquote, failure, uh, is is gonna take Biden down in the midterms and then beyond, uh, which I think is is foolish and I think is misreading the American public. I think the reality is uh, strategy eats tactics for lunch. And the strategic circumstance in Afghanistan was such that we were going to leave at some point. Uh, In that context, especially considering the deal negotiated by President Trump last year, uh, in that context, the last week and a half. And, you know, Bruce, I was on your show uh, a couple weeks ago, and we talked about how frustrated we were uh, at the fall of the Afghan army and the fall of Afghanistan that was happening Mm -hmm. quickly as we were talking. Uh, Since the fall of Kabul, I've seen a Herculean effort by folks in the military, by folks in our, our diplomatic corps, uh, in rescuing and evacuating 120,000 people. Uh, for context, we, we brought 150,000 people out of Vietnam the year that we left South Vietnam. Uh, so this has been nothing short of a, of a miracle, a Dunkirk-sized miracle. Uh, granted, the strategic context was a massive failure put in place in 2001. Well,
3: mm-hmm. um, um, it, It's maybe it's it a miracle. is a, it, it is it is
1: a miracle that they did get so many people out and again obviously people are talking about well who's yeah. left behind uh, that supposedly we have nobody left behind uh, I, I think the, the the one statement that that I think rightfully is going to be replayed again and again and has political significance is the statement that Joe Biden made like two weeks ago in his interview with George Stephanopoulos mm-hmm. when he said no Americans no, no one who is assisting the Americans, are going to be left behind. Mm-hmm. And again, we now know mm-hmm. that people in that population were left behind. I mean, just the juxtaposition of that statement. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and this is one of many statements that what came out of his mouth was not accurate or was different than what some, what Blanken or uh, Austin at the Defense Department uh, or, 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 or the General's what we're
3: saying. Right. and, he and, be and hung and, with and his own words. Right. And, and another statement was you know a few, uh, few months ago he said this is not going to be another Saigon. Right. Well this was worse than Saigon. These images of these Afghan people trying to uh, clutch onto helicopters helicopters and, and to aircraft and the like. And it's not just did we leave people behind but all the military equipment that mm-hmm. was uh, left behind. And so yes Patrick is correct that getting 120,000 people out in a matter of weeks is impressive, but it shouldn't have come to that. Mm-hmm. He had, Biden had nine months to plan for this, and people can talk all they want about Trump's deal that he made with the Taliban. That's fine, but Biden has shown a great propensity to rip up or modify or change deals that he didn't like Trump doing, getting back but in the Paris Climate Accord, look, uh, getting, mm-hmm. trying to get back said, in the Iran uh, deal, here's something,
1: here's something Biden said. Biden has said that he was listening to his military advisors who advised him that it was okay to close Bagram. Mm-hmm. Now, who do you believe? Did I- did he really agree? Did the military really say that? Because if the military really said that, I'm not so sure that that Biden wears the collar for that. We- I mean, someone in the military said, "You know what? You know, we don't we don't need Bagram.
2: We have yeah. learned an incredibly important lesson in the last 20 years about the, what the military is good at and what political leadership ultimately needs to do. The military will give you the best advice based on their mission. Every single time and What we've heard from general Milley was that there was the, given the resource constraints and the deadline constraints, we had a choice whether we maintain the embassy in Kabul or we maintain Bagram air air base. The hope being that if, if Kabul were to take longer to fall that everybody expected, certainly including the Taliban, that there'd be a way to evacuate folks more slowly in a more orderly fashion uh, and, and get out of there using just the air, ba- the air uh, the airport in Kabul with support from the embassy. Uh, I think that was the advice that the president received, and I think it was incredibly reasonable to make the decision that they did. What, what, advice, was it, what,
1: advice, what advice do you think he had? And I, I have not read this. I may have misplaced it here, but the the uh, absolute rock-in-the-stand sand about staying there was something magic about August 31st do you think in the hierarchy of of, of, the, of the American government that people were whispering in his ear say you know mr. president let's go another week here I mean
3: or, I, I, how I, did that get to be so absolute well I I I suspect that there were people whispering in his ear give it more time but it was very important to Biden for political purposes that we be out before September 11th so he can give whatever speech he's going to give on the 20th anniversary of September 11th and that push really um, clouded this whole deal again I go back to the fact that he had nine months to plan for this and so these strategic decisions about uh, the Bagram air base versus this or that i mean it should have never come down to that all all of this should have been planned for and dealt with on a should more part orderly of this basis.
1: should part of this also have been the planning should that have been in place more uh, extensively than president trump left it
2: i mean let's not forget what a what a catastrophe the transition was right where president trump's administration wouldn't even allow the, the president elect Biden and his folks to get into place until late in the game in December, losing valuable time, not only to transition plans and programs that were already in place, but to start planning their own. Uh, I think Trump left Biden with a nightmare uh, across the board from domestic to foreign policy during a pandemic. Uh, and so I hear you, I hear the frustration that there should have been a plan for all sorts of things. I think the reality is uh, calculated risks were taken. Uh, a surprise, a surprise, escape by the afghan president through a lot of things into whack and as a result as a response after Kabul did fall uh, you've seen an incredible uh, operation put into place by the US
3: military. so I'm I'm gonna respond to this thing about and I've heard it from others about the transition okay Biden as the former vice president has access to national intelligence all the national intelligence he wanted he was making promises about Afghanistan during his campaign. He had an entire foreign policy team at his disposal. There was plenty that they could have done without, a, and I, I agree that Trump should have done more with the transition. I'm going to get, give, give that. But still, I mean, there was still plenty of time. He had the intelligence, he had the capabilities, and it was just a botched execution.
2: Well, let's think carefully about what we're talking about. What the, the operations themselves leading up to the evacuation, I think is what we're criticizing. Do, could, could we have gotten folks SIVs earlier? Could we have gotten folks to leave earlier? And if you think about that counterfactual, in July, if you were to go to all the American contractors, all the American citizens and say, hey, it's time to get out, how would that not accelerate things? How would that not make things potentially worse?
1: And the, S, and, and the, the SIV uh, visas, that was based on a vetting of those who have been allegedly assisting the United States over the last several years and that was really uh, that was the uh, uh, that was the gold medal if you had if you wanted to get out of of the country and that was an absolute thing we we conversation we've had with uh, some of those involved in the refugee community said that Mm -hmm. that was something magic about that, that 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 visa and and yet we had a report from a congressman from Wisconsin Uh, In the last several days, uh, his district includes uh, Camp McCoy, Mm -hmm. where over 2,000 Afghans have shown up. They're walking off the base, and according to him, no one has an SIV. So these, we don't know how special these people are, but they didn't have the golden ticket to get themselves to Wisconsin. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly. Thanks for joining us tonight.
11: Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Pre-Diabetes Awareness Partners.
0: 145 over 92. 180 over
4: 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke.
5: Your blood pressure numbers could change your life.
6: A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke.
7: My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak.
6: Lowering your high
5: blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life,
6: but i want to make it better. I'm uh, coming back. Ask your doctor, check your blood pressure.
5: Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association,
8: and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.
1: Bruce Dumont back. We continue on this uh, Labor Day weekend. Nice to have you with us. No phone calls this evening, but we have in studio, we have Patrick Hanley. He is a management consultant, and he's a card-carrying Democrat. And our Republican this evening is a conservative lawyer by the name of Josh Cantro, who is a frequent guest on this program. And uh, we are now uh, joined uh, on Zoom uh, by uh, Professor Robert Pate from the uh, University of Chicago, P-A-P-E, Robert Pate from the University of Chicago. He is one of the world's foremost authorities on uh, on suicide bombing and uh, has uh, taught at the Air Force uh, uh, Academy and Dartmouth University, University of Chicago, and really is a a great guest and a good friend of this program. And uh, uh, Professor, thanks very much for joining us to uh, share your thoughts and and, and great opinions this evening. Uh,
13: Thanks for having me on again. I'd
1: I'd like to begin by getting your uh, assessment. Give us your, uh, you know, minute and a half assessment of what do you think happens next in Afghanistan?
13: Uh, The next is whether we actually transition to a working over the horizon strategy. Uh, For months now, the Biden administration has been using that phrase over the horizon strategy. Uh, This is policy that I have uh, in my work, both in uh, bombing to win and dying to win, have been supporting for uh, many years now, uh, including as recently as 2019 with respect to Afghanistan. Um, And so I'm very familiar with this strategy. um, And the real question now is, will we truly transition to it? The strategy has a bunch of pieces um, and has several operational goals. Um, Some of those pieces are in place, some are not. That limits our ability to really execute the strategy, the goals for the strategy. So I'm glad to unpack all that now for you. But the fact of the matter is, uh, up until now, we have not had and over the horizon strategy for Afghanistan uh, that starts today um, as a possibility and the question is over the next four to six months will we truly put that policy in place mm-hmm. or are we just using that as a fig leaf to get out and cut and run mm-hmm. now when when you talk about
1: that obviously the, the these are these are uh, you know, targeted attacks on, on, on enemy targets Uh, that are directed from thousands or hundreds of miles away. Uh, And obviously, these are um, unmanned uh, drones in many cases. So explain to us, where is the button pushed to make those things happen? Do you you have to be close, or can you uh, do it from Central Command in Florida?
13: Uh, Well, we know we can do it from uh, from afar because it's the over the horizon strategy that toppled the Taliban in the fall of 2001 in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the fall of 2001, we did not send an army to Afghanistan. Uh, We sent 50 special forces, five zero to the entire country. Uh, and we worked with the Northern Alliance, um, and that uh, combination with our air power flying from actually even the United States uh, in six weeks toppled the Taliban. Second example is getting bin Laden. Uh, We didn't get bin Laden with an army. Uh, We didn't march an army into Pakistan. Um, We got bin Laden with Uh, special forces and our uh, reconnaissance capability. It's called ISR technically. Uh, But the fact of the matter is we've used over the horizon policies extremely effectively in Afghanistan uh, before. Um, And so we have a record uh, that allows us to understand uh, not just that it can succeed, but what are the conditions under which it can succeed? And the fact is that we can move to that again, but we need to put in place a number of pillars, not just say we're going to bomb from afar. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to understand the operational objectives, uh, specifically with respect to a counterterrorism uh, uh, against a group like ISK, that there's two core objectives. One is destroying any physical bases of multiple buildings that they may in fact inhabit. And then secondarily hitting targets of opportunity, leaders or other mid-level Uh, operatives that are critical, have critical skills, um, and uh, those are our operational objectives. Those require operational capabilities that we can put in place. We have, again, used this strategy successfully before, but wishing to do the strategy is not the same thing as truly putting the pieces in place to do the strategy. Um, And that's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned that what, hap- what's, what's, what we've been doing is using the bumper sticker of Over the Horizon uh, without actually putting in place the pieces. And there are core pieces that are not now in place um, that will have to be put in place if we're really going to have a strategy when, for five or ten years that Professor, will make America safe. Let
1: me ask this question. When 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 the public hears the term over the horizon. And again, we've heard it a lot in the last couple of weeks. We're probably going to hear it ad nauseum uh, for the next several years. When the public hears that term, does it mean exclusively um, unmanned uh, drones, or is it real men and women getting into fighter jets and and taking uh, uh, the air power uh, in, in, in a far more expansive way than just uh, some general sitting back pressing buttons.
13: That's right. The first pillar for over the horizon are U.S. capabilities, which are air power, both manned and unmanned. Um, and when I mean unmanned, I mean uh, drones that can fly, you know, sort of a radius of 100 miles or so uh, and loiter for a period of time. Uh, Manned, which could be bombers flying from Qatar, our IUD Air Base, which I've been to. Um, uh, that's the air power component. Then we have the intelligence component. We have extremely sophisticated intelligence capabilities that we don't talk a lot about. We say they're in space. Um, or they're overhead, Um, but these are highly classified systems that are the best in the world um, that are extremely valuable for this mission. And then we have special forces. Uh, Special forces are, uh, uh, you could think of them as boots on the ground, but they're not army divisions in the sense of having tanks and so forth uh, to take and hold ground. Uh, They're specifically to go get and attack specific People, if you would, or protect specific people. Okay. Um, and so the combination of all three of those is what we mean by an over the horizon capability, because sometimes you are going to need to put special forces in on a high value target, as we did with bin Laden. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is over the horizon capability. The raid on bin Laden is a clear example of it and a clear example of when it succeeds.
1: When uh, we have other guests in studio, I know they've got questions or comments for you, but uh, let me take one more question. When when we finally know how many Americans were left behind, we know that some Americans were left behind. Some uh, Afghans uh, who, who've been assisting us over the years, they have been left behind. We don't know the exact number. Someone has mentioned maybe under 200 insofar as uh, American passport holders are concerned. The... the uh, the, the, the commando or the, the ranger-related activities that you're talking about, do you expect this type of activity to continue, uh, even though the president has said there's no more troops in Afghanistan? Well, they may not be in Afghanistan. Maybe they're in Qatar or someplace else. But do you expect those type of operations to totally cease and desist from this point forward?
13: Well, if... if- well, Bruce, if you mean a uh, special forces raid in order to go in and rescue an American, an American hostage who's being held yes. hostage by uh, the Taliban or even ISK with guns pointed right at the person's head, um, I don't think that's going to happen very often. Um, the re- that's very different than the raid on bin Laden. Yes. So the raid on bin Laden, we went in and we were perfectly prepared to kill, and we did right. kill Bin Laden, the target, going in and rescuing uh, one or a couple of uh, hostages in this way with special forces, the problem is that very likely the um, bad guys will simply shoot the hostage. And right. so therefore, it's mm-hmm. a simply a wasted effort mm-hmm. in this situation. Now, that, there may be exceptions. Uh, there may be uh, you know that rare instance when we can, in fact, pull off that operation with high confidence. But I don't think we should be expecting that we're going to be parachuting in Rambos like the Rambo movies Mm -hmm. to go rescue these folks that are somehow in some concentration camp. Those are movies. Um, This Mm -hmm. is reality. And the reality is that um, these special forces are terrific uh, at what they do. But going in to rescue um, a hostage situation where there's literally guns pointed at the hostage's head. It, this is just extremely unlikely to succeed, and would more likely uh, cause a lot more uh, death than trying to do other 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 approaches. I've got a minute to asking for this question. Uh, do you believe
1: and are you confident in the preliminary reports that suggest the Taliban has been assisting? the United States in in providing safe passage and secret passage uh, to those in the closing hours
13: of the airport drama do you do you, are you are you pleased to uh, do, do buy highly, that yes I find them highly credible Bruce for two reasons so first of all you should know that in Foreign Policy magazine one of the key magazines in Washington in August 2019 I wrote a piece called How to Partner with the Taliban. I was maybe, I don't know Mm -hmm. if there was anybody else publicly in the country talking about how uh, given that ISIS-K is a threat to both the Taliban and to America, that there may be some limited security cooperation, I said likely covert, that we could uh, expect. Um, I also met with uh, then Trump's National Security uh, Council, uh, his team there, uh, specific people uh, to discuss this for a significant period of time, um, and so um, uh, now, um, Professor, I've got, a, I've got, I've got, a, I've got, I've got, I have to,
1: I have to interrupt you, know. you. I've got to interrupt you. That perhaps is the greatest tease to the next segment that I think we've ever had on this program. Don't go away. We'll be back with Robert Pate. In a couple of minutes, I'm beyond the Beltway. Don't go away.
4: Come
9: again!
4: This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces
10: a public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That
11: means it could be you. Your football buddy. Your football buddy. Go! Or you. Your best man. Your worst man. You, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org.
12: Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner, Carol, or my karaoke enemy, Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org.
11: Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Prediabetes Awareness Partners.
1: Bruce Dumont, we continue with uh, Robert uh, Pape from the University of Chicago. And in studio, we have uh, Patrick Hanley and we have Josh Cantrow, And uh, we're going to get to your, uh, you've wet, whetted our appetites, uh, Professor, but I want our guests uh, to give you an opportunity or give them an opportunity to ask you a question before we give the, the big reveal as to how we can successfully deal with with the Taliban. Let's, let's begin with Josh Cantrow, Josh?
3: Yes, uh, Professor, you had mentioned uh, early in your comments that we had some of the pieces in place uh, for Over the Horizon, um, but uh, some that are not, and I was wondering if you could expand on that and let us know uh, what's missing.
13: Yeah. So over the horizon here with respect to Afghanistan and a group like ISIS-K requires two operational goals that we have to achieve. Again, attacking bases It would be physical buildings like, say, three, four buildings, maybe a half dozen buildings that are close together that are uh, operational bases, uh, which they uh, second would be targets of opportunity, leaders and mid-level skilled uh, targets. To do that, you need five pillars. No, number one is you need that American set of assets I just talked about, American air power of all kinds, intelligence of all kinds, um, and special forces. Uh, number two, you need a regional base uh, that we have in IUD air base in Qatar. Uh, number three, you need a local base in one of the surrounding countries, say in Pakistan or Tajikistan, that would be for flying your shorter range uh, Drones, as best we can tell, we don't have that. Um, uh, that's important because the key where Nangahar is, where ISIS K operates, uh, is in the eastern part of Afghanistan. So we need the parts of Pakistan and Tajikistan uh, for that. Uh, number four is we need local intelligence networks. Um, uh, local intelligence networks means humans uh, here, separate from. Um, Uh, the uh, Taliban. Um, And then number five is we want to have a working relationship, at least to some small degree, not necessarily very great, um, on uh, security information flowing back and forth on uh, ISIS-K with the Afghan Taliban, because that's now the local government. I would say of those five, we have about two and a half in place. We have the U.S. assets, we have the regional air base, and I would give us about half credit for the security cooperation with the uh, Afghan Taliban uh, so far. What we don't have in place uh, is the local um, drone bases, to the best we can tell, in uh, Pakistan or Tajikistan, and the information, the informant networks. Uh, the disastrous way in which the last few weeks have unfolded um, have probably done a tremendous damage to our not just short-term, but even medium-term capability uh with the informant networks we had built up in Mm. afghanistan Mm -hmm. so those could possibly be rebuilt i think it's uh not really fair to say that they could never be rebuilt but i do think it's important to see that what's just happened in the last three weeks has been a gigantic setback here um, for the informant networks and possibly also the uh diplomatic effort we're going to need with tajikistan and pakistan Mm -hmm. so i am very concerned about the Remaining, to, I'd call it two and a half pillars uh, here, um, with the uh, that we need for the over the horizon to really be, you know, comprehensive and effective the way we want it to be to keep America safe. Um, but it is still in the, you know, to be seen whether we can really do this, uh, and it will take though a sustained, serious international effort, not just a, you know, once a month briefing to Biden to make this happen. Uh, Patrick Hanley has a comment.
2: Professor, when I think about Over the Horizon, uh, I my worry, my anxiety sets in that we're using a hammer to solve a lot of problems. This is a this is a violent, explosive way to address challenges. You are blowing up buildings. You are hitting targets. There are going to be secondary explosions, like what we saw in this last week, tragically. And so, in a world where you're missing the regional base, you're missing the local intelligence. You've got the eyes in the sky, but not the ears in the ground. Doesn't that make Over the Horizon? potentially too risky, uh, doesn't it change that ratio of whether or not we should pursue that as a as a policy?
13: What, what I would say is to answer specifically, so with the two and a half elements, that, that is pillars, we have in place, we have a high capability to take out any terrorist base. That mm-hmm. is those multiple buildings like bin Laden had in the nineties when people say Al Qaeda was there, it wasn't just there sitting, having tea, he was in a base that's bigger than the university of Chicago. So with those two and a half pillars, we have high confidence of taking out such bases, uh, be able to find them, take them out, and probably also do it in a way that will minimize collateral damage. Mm-hmm. The collateral damage is very likely to come in with that second element I mentioned, which are the targets of opportunity. And as mm-hmm. we saw just um, a few you know, hours ago or 36 hours ago, when we used uh, an airstrike to take out a car laden with explosives here, uh, what happened is without those deep informant networks, Mm -hmm. what happens is that's limiting the times you could strike the car, you see? So if you Mm -hmm. have a thicker network, then with that, if you have all five pillars, in other words, you have a better chance of doing that second goal with minimizing collateral damage because you have more options, you'll know more where the car is going to be. So you'll have more options to be able to strike it. So that really is why um, all five, if you want to achieve both goals with high confidence and minimal casualties, collateral casualties, you want to have all five of those pillars Um, And we can then explain, well, what can you do with the two and a half pillars? What should you be doing? What should you not be doing? That's the way I think we should really be talking. We we need to not just have like vague discussions about bumper stickers, Mm -hmm. but we need to take apart the means ends chain and really understand the logic uh, pieces of the strategy. Mm -hmm.
2: Got a follow up? But yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, professor. And what I wanted to what I wanted to follow up with was you've done a lot of work on the psychology behind terrorism. And I think one of the things you've written about yes. is how uh, important our presence, our physical presence overseas has been to the motivations behind terrorists with uh, our withdrawal from Afghanistan, with our much reduced presence in Iraq uh, and our withdrawal broadly across the Middle East. Do you think this is going to lessen? Uh, the likelihood of future terrorism from uh, Middle Eastern countries? And by the uh, way, let me, let I me, just, let I, me, uh, uh, Rob, Bob, Bob, excuse me, I, so, R- Professor, uh, hang
1: on just a second. I, I, I have to interrupt again. And this is the second great tease that has been offered as we've gone to a break. For those around the Beyond the Beltway network, uh, many of you are going to break away for a few minutes of news at the moment. And when we come back, we're going to hear Professor Pate respond to that and also to answer the question, how we can get along with the
7: television.
0: 145 over 92.
7: 180 over 111.
4: 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke.
5: Your blood pressure numbers could
6: change your life. A lot of people don't understand including myself, I didn't, now I do, Uh the impact of having a stroke.
7: My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak.
5: Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org.
6: It's a new life, but I want to make it better. Uh, coming back ask your doctor check your blood pressure
5: brought to you by the American Heart Association American Medical Association and the Ad Council
8: it's a bully but we aren't afraid of a fight it's elusive but our focus never fades it's deadly but we were born to defeat cancer you may not have heard of us but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer we are the leukemia and lymphoma society we are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy genomics and personalized medicine this research saves lives after 65 years of fighting blood cancers we've arrived at a game-changing belief the cures for cancer are in our blood The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.
4: This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur her knowledge was limitless, and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom.
10: Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
8: At Social Security, we are always thinking of ways to save you time and make things easier. That's why we created My Social Security. A My Social Security account allows you to access your earnings history and benefits information, request a replacement Social Security card, get a proof of income letter, estimate and apply for benefits, and more. Save time. Go online. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov myaccount my account. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. Produced
0: at U.S. taxpayer
13: expense.
1: Mr. back in hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much. In studio, we have uh, Patrick Hanley. He is a management consultant and a Democrat. And Josh Cantrow is a conservative Republican attorney. Uh, they are both from Chicago. And also uh, Robert Pape is also from Chicago. He is with the University of Chicago. He's one of the world's leading experts on suicide bombing. Uh, he has uh, written the book "Bombing: uh, Bombing to Win" and uh, a number of books on air power and uh, bob take take a moment if you will before we get back to questioning tell us a little bit about the center that you had uh, uh, dealing with national security
13: uh, thanks Um so at the university of chicago um, i'm the founding director of the chicago project on security and threats uh... this is a broad-based center on national security uh... we are not focused on any one issue um... we have uh... Uh, Professors at the center that focus on uh, on military alliances. Uh, We have focus uh, on uh, intelligence. Myself, of course, I work a lot on air power, terrorism, uh, and uh, it is also a center that's not necessarily just international security. So in the last several years, we've done more work on American political violence because that's become a crucial threat to our national security. Uh, the center has been uh, going since 2004. It was started by uh, the Defense Department under uh, George W. Bush in 2004, um, and it has been uh, funded and supported by every Pentagon uh, uh, ever since, and also I've been fortunate enough to advise uh, every White House since. Mm-hmm. So it's an um, uh, opportunity here uh, to learn more about it. You go to C-Post. you can go to our website, you can learn more about it. Um, and you can see that it not just includes myself, but there are half dozen now young tenured and tenure track faculty at the University of Chicago mm-hmm. who also contribute in various ways. Okay.
1: Uh, before the break, a uh, question was asked by uh, by Patrick Hanley about the, the impact of our departure from Afghanistan and how is this playing within the the various extreme uh, terrorist networks uh not only in the middle east but around the world what what lessons are they learning well, from our conduct
13: well we need to focus on what 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 is the impact just in the next few weeks versus yes. what's the longer term sure. impact of our um, ground force withdrawal likely to be given what's happened in the last 3 weeks just how disastrous and messy this ground force withdrawal has been Um, uh, uh, What we have done is we have, unfortunately, in the very near term, done quite a bit to embolden uh, not just ISIS-K in Afghanistan, but ISIS Central in um, uh, Iraq and Syria um, has been promoting the work, uh, promoting ISIS-Ks attacks in Afghanistan, especially aggressively in the last week and a half. Uh, we have a center, uh, part of our center does Arabic propaganda, so we have native Arabic speakers. We, I'm speaking with some specific knowledge about this. Um, and so the, um, uh, the fact is, in the very near term, the disastrous way in which this uh, withdrawal has been handled in the last three weeks um, has created a, a, a problem we need to be quite concerned about. Now, over time, uh, we need to recognize that um, suicide terrorism is like lung cancer. There are many causes of lung cancer, um, but there's one in particular, smoking, which causes lung cancer to skyrocket. Suicide terrorism is similar, many causes, but there's one combat troop presence on territory of the terrorist prize that Mm -hmm. causes that uh, suicide attacks to skyrocket. That's why before we, Put heavy ground forces in Iraq and Afghanistan in 2001 and three. There were no suicide attacks in Iraq and Afghanistan. What do we know? What do we know know about what do we? And now they're coming down in both countries.
1: What do we know? Because you have studied every single suicide attack for the last umpteen years. What is the common denominator? Now, granted, the person is dead, but I mean you've done research on their background. What are the common denominators that create a suicide bomber?
13: Uh, about 90%, not 100%. Again, this is a little bit like lung cancer. Like nine, 90% of suicide attacks are in direct response uh, to a military occupation where there are ground forces, I mean tanks, armor vehicles, Um, combat um, uh, troops on territory, occupying territory that the terrorists prize. Mm -hmm. Now, when those combat troops are there, there can be a whole variety of specific triggers that occur. So it's not just one and only one way in which the combat troops uh, turn out to be a magnet and inspire suicide attacks. But it is the number one way for about 90%. And by the way, there are plenty of secular suicide bombers, uh, just, uh, and they're not just religious. So you might say, oh, well, they're all Muslim, or they're all this or all that. Well, that's not really true. So the fact is, um, how CPOS has got started is, I collected the first complete database of all suicide attacks around the world shortly after 9-11 um, um, that was uh, then funded by the Bush Pentagon, even though I was telling Paul Wolfowitz directly in 2002 that if we invaded Iraq, the data showed this would touch off the largest suicide terrorist campaign in modern times. They still went forward. The message, the word came back to me that we were still going to do that at war, but we were going to create an air base at IUD in Qatar so we could move our troops, more of our troops out of Saudi Arabia. That was a, you know, sort of a bow to the data. And then it turned out in 2004, um, the Wolfowitz and Wemmsfeld Pentagon started funding C Post, which was really quite striking because um, I was telling them they were doing everything to create <laughs> the next 9-11, not stop it. Um, and um, that led then to, uh, anyway, so the, the answer here, Bruce, is that there's a lot of different varieties, the pieces in this cocktail, but the key thing you need to know is that just like with lung cancer, 90% of suicide attacks come with a cause, which is um, in response to foreign ground forces. Um, And so, yep, there still could be a little bit of suicide. uh, But if you think that popping an army in is going to make us safer, um, got another, you you just haven't seen the data. (laughs) Uh, And um, the data just puts very strongly that we need to look for other tools, other approaches, which is how I, tried to argue for the over-the-horizon policy mm-hmm. um, as a way um, uh, to uh, keep us safe while not overreacting and making the problem worse.
1: So an over-the-horizon attack would not be perceived as devastating to a potential suicide bomber?
13: Uh, no, it's not perceived as controlling. You see, what the ground forces signal is control yeah. over their way of life. Think about Afghanistan. Many people are upset we're leaving Afghanistan because we're not controlling the future way of life of Afghan people. Mm -hmm. A lot of people in the West want to change how Afghans view women. They want to change their culture. Well, that's exactly what the suicide bombers are reacting to. They want their own freedom to determine their future, their self-determination. So when the ground forces go in, the ground forces signal not just uh, military policy, but political control. Um, And that's exactly what happened in Afghanistan. So we put the uh, ground forces in, we installed a government that became thoroughly corrupt, thoroughly illegitimate. The only thing holding that government there was our military force. Well, that's why the people are fighting against it. Professor, we've got a break back shortly from Beyond the Beltway.
9: Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council.
0: 145 over 92.
7: 180 over 111. 182 over 100.
4: And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke.
5: Your blood pressure numbers could change your life.
6: A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke
7: my memory is shot when I woke up I couldn't speak
5: lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke if you've stopped your treatment plan restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org it's a new life
6: but I'm going to make it better coming back to ask your doctor check your blood pressure
5: Brought to you by the American Heart Association,
8: American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.
1: Bruce Dumont back, and uh, let me ask uh, Professor uh, before we go back. Professor, you're scheduled to be with us for about another 10 minutes. Could you stay a little yes. bit longer, or do you have another engagement uh, today? Uh,
13: well, uh, could I give you just another ten minutes beyond that, because I do have something to. Yes, fine. No, no,
1: to- no <laughs> problem. We'll, we'll we'll take that deal. It's the uh, because, of we, Zoom. <laughs> because, because we've got questions, uh, a lot of questions uh, from uh, our in-studio guests. But I, but I want to ask one more, and I'll promise I'll try to make this my last question. Uh, a week from now we're going to celebrate the 20th or commemorate not celebrate we're going to commemorate the 20th anniversary of the attacks of 9/11 in 2001 next sunday night on this program are we going to be talking about another major attack on the united states by the terrorists of the world in your opinion
13: you mean between now and the time the program airs Yes, no. I mean, yeah, be, be, yeah Between uh, uh, then, I would say, next, I say highly, unlikely. Highly, highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. Um, the uh, it's um, you can never say never. Uh, so what we, it's all about analysis of risk. Uh, there's no hundred um, percent certainties. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that um, um, we have shifted, except for Afghanistan, to over the horizon as our policy in a number of areas. We've shifted to this in Africa and Somalia. We've used it quite successfully in Syria and um, Iraq against ISIS. This has been used not just by a Democratic administration, the Obama administration, but also the Trump administration. Now the Biden administration hopefully will be extending this into Afghanistan. And what you are seeing um, is that um, the more we have shifted to over the horizon, Uh, the fewer um, Western-directed attacks we're seeing. um, And the uh, fact of the matter is you're also seeing that we're also able to do things to reduce their bases more effectively. So in Iraq today, um, ISIS has no base in Iraq. There hasn't been a suicide attack in Iraq this year. Uh, That's eight months so far. We have a a group at my center that tracks uh, this extremely closely. Um, And that's quite different than the years in Iraq when there were over 300 suicide attacks. So the fact is, if you looked at um, uh, suicide attacks, the biggest killer in terrorism, and you track them and you'd see they're way down, and they've gone way down this year as a result of shifts here. to over the horizon in most places. Um, And I think even with the uptick that I just described, so I would be uh, extremely on on high alert here if I was at DHS and our FBI, and I'm pretty sure they are, um, uh, to monitor what's happening in just in the last few weeks. I think, I think given the extra level of alert, that's likely to offset the little bit of extra risk I just pointed to earlier. So, no, I don't think okay. there's likely to be uh, an attack between now and the time your show airs. And now we'll find out. I hope you're right. Uh, Josh Kendrew.
3: Yes, uh, certainly hope you're right about that, Professor. Um, I wanted to go back to uh, the five pieces that need to be in place to have a complete over the horizon strategy and you had mentioned earlier in response to my question that one of those pieces is local intelligence networks and that they um... uh... Yeah. that we don't have that now and i take it the reason we don't have that now is because uh... some of those uh, folks that used to work with us have been captured or at risk of being captured by the taliban and also uh, going forward there would be a huge um, um Risk in terms of uh, uh, folks working with the U.S. in the future, in light of the chaotic chaotic way we got out, is that a fair assessment?
13: Yeah, it's really the second. Yeah, so it's so what I think has happened is by leaving eighty thousand special visa holders behind, um, and really, you know, um, you know, creating you know sort of very thin opportunities, at least as we could see today, uh, to go forward here. Uh, i think this creates a lot of lack of uh uh, people working people willing to work with us and put their lives on the line for us um now um um, that has a lot to do with the way the withdrawal has happened uh the way the withdrawal has happened and all the mistakes and so forth i'm sure others are going to be talking about for a long period of time well but that's in the past now as we go forward Uh, we uh, may be able to rebuild relationships with some of those 80,000. They may be willing to um, provide uh, information, not necessarily in any public way, but that's what the CIA does. Uh, um, And so it may well be the case that we're able to rebuild some of those networks. Um, And in fact, um, if we can do a little bit to you know, help encourage uh, better treatment here by the Taliban of certain of those, SI, those, those special visa holders, uh, this may help us quite a bit. So uh, that's all to be seen in the future. But I am concerned that, that although earlier transitioning to over the horizon, we could have been more confident of having um, informant networks that would have been quite positive toward us, even if the Taliban took power. Um, I think that now, given what's happened in the last few weeks, we need to recognize we have thrown a giant wrench into their confidence in us. Those, mm-hmm. the, I mean, the possible informant, future informant network. Mm-hmm.
11: You
1: mentioned a couple of segments ago that uh, you had uh, written a, a, a treatise or a book on, on the subject of uh, how the United States and the Taliban uh, could, could get along and, and build an alliance in the future. Can you elaborate, you started to give us a couple of points. Can you elaborate a little bit more on on how you think uh, we may be able to have some coexistence with them?
13: Yeah, yeah. so it's an article in Foreign Policy Magazine in August 2019 called How to Partner with the Taliban. Uh, The key thing is to uh, start small and focus on, Um, Our common interest against the security threat that ISIS-K, that's the ISIS group in Afghanistan, poses to both the Afghan Taliban and to uh, American interests. What a lot of people are only now learning is that ISIS-K and the Afghan Taliban have been at each other's throats as bitter enemies killing each other. Since 2015, this is not; these are not ideological <laughs> friends working together. Uh, it's the other; the, these are bitter, bitter, bitter war-fighting rivals here. So we have an opportunity um, to uh, build um, um, uh, a uh, on common interest. Now, how would you build on this? Number one, you start extremely small and narrow, focusing just on uh, security, uh, passing information. Uh, that relates to um, targeting that group. Um, uh, and by the way, notice that we are, we have had this head of the CIA meet with the head of the Taliban. So, so yeah. these kinds of things are never going—I don't think should ever be public. But we've already done quite a bit to show there's some uh, our top of our security force is talking. Head is talking mm-hmm. to So, I think that um, the next step here is to see can that be extended beyond the airport. Well, um, we have a period before this, 2019, 2021, 20, where um, we actually managed to shrink ISIS-K rather substantially in Afghanistan from 5,000 strong to 2,000 strong. Now, that may well have happened with some already covert security cooperation with, uh, between the Taliban and the United States. I don't know that. I wouldn't be surprised to find that out. We should be trying to build on that in the future. If that were to go forward, then we could try to uh, expand that beyond um, some functional areas outside of security cooperation, such as hospitals. So uh, COVID uh, matters to the Afghan Taliban. Um, uh, they, care, they do care about this. Uh, the uh, um, uh, hospitals do matter. Um, however, it might be the case that this may be um, a, a, a future step where we might be able to cooperate um, um, on uh, issues of hospitals. Now these cooperation, both the security and the hospital that I'm describing here, this may not happen through direct government to government contacts. We may not be having these face-to-face meetings. Uh, This may happen through DOA uh, intermediaries. Uh, This may happen covertly, Uh, but this is what the CIA does. We are, this is part of what we do. We know how to build uh, relationships here under the radar that can be mutually beneficial but this would have i mean one one thought about under the radar uh
1: obviously the united states allegedly has a surplus of a vaccine uh, to spread around the world do you see the possibility that we would be vaccinating afghans in the in the wake of what's transpired here and 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 would anybody well, be able to I survive I don't know that I see the
13: possibility. We're going to send the CDC as no, a group no. over to Kabul. I think again um, that there's a lot of ways to get that vaccine um, over to Afghanistan, and if we demand a visible credit, this creates problems uh, for both sides. The Biden administration, of mm-hmm. course, is being criticized right. for working with the former enemy. Yeah. You can bet elements yes. in the Taliban are criticizing the Taliban leadership yes, right. for working with the former enemy. Wouldn't uh, play well on is, Fox uh, News. Uh, <laughs> you know, we need to remember that these are very uh, uh, you know, politically fraught issues. That said, um, when we left Vietnam, uh, Kissinger and Nixon built a relationship with China. And this caught the world by surprise and was one of the most effective things to help um, split uh, the China from the Soviet Union Mm -hmm. and became a very important part of our geopolitical strategy. Right. Uh, We are
1: going to have to pause. Thank you very much for agreeing to stick with us for another 10 minutes. So we're going to do that, (laughs) stick in another another break. uh, is coming up uh, literally in a matter of seconds. And then after that, we'll continue with our final segment uh, with uh, Robert Pape, Uh, from the University of Chicago and continue with our guests in studio, Josh Cantrow, He's the conservative Republican attorney and uh, Patrick Hanley. He is the management consultant who is a Democrat. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us on this special edition of Beyond the Beltway on Labor Day 2021.
10: A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than "probably." Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date?
4: Sure, um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's
9: been twenty-three minutes since I ate. <laughs> I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait thirty minutes. Mm, okay, <laughs> do tell me what to do. Cannonball! if you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.
11: One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, Go! or you, your best man, your worst man
12: Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Pre-Diabetes
11: Awareness Partners.
1: Bruce Dumont back. It is our final uh, segment uh, in our broadcast uh, this evening. Uh, actually, we got a couple more segments to go. It's our last segment with uh, Bob Pape. Uh, Bob, my question to you is, a lot of Americans uh, and commentators are very upset with all of the equipment and uh, uh, the, the machinery that is being left behind its billions of dollars worth of, uh, of equipment. Um, as an expert in the field, how important is that in the big picture?
13: Uh, it's very important over the next uh, six months or a year. It will not be probably longer than that. things will run out, spare parts will run out, et cetera. but let me explain. The equipment that we're talking about is not the equipment so much we left at Bagram Air Force Base when we took out the air base when we took out the U.S. military troops. The biggest haul for the Taliban has been the equipment that we gave to the Afghan security forces Mm -hmm. under the fantasy that we were building somehow an Afghan National Army. Now, this fantasy we gave um, over a hundred billion dollars of aid to the Afghan security forces. Something like twenty-five billion of that went to hard military hardware, and that's what you're seeing them parading around in there um, in the videos. This is mostly coming, almost all, from the Afghan security force. So, when the Afghan security forces melted away. The individual soldiers, they just took their stuff off, left home and walked away. It's the Taliban who came in and picked up all that equipment. This is really um, just another consequence of the fantasy that, you know, we we have witnessed now over the last three weeks, uh, the puncturing of several key fantasies, the fantasy that we were somehow stabilizing Afghanistan. That's not been true for many years now. This fantasy that somehow we're building a liberal democracy, that has never been true. The fantasy we're building an Afghan um, uh, army somehow that was going to look like the U.S. military just because we, you know, said we, we, we gave them procedures to check on a checkbox. That is just simply uh, uh, was never what in going to occur. Um, um, and the um, what you're seeing as a consequence is all that equipment we gave them is now in the hands of the Afghan Taliban, which is one of the reasons we couldn't stay beyond October, August 31st in the airport. There's just way too much military equipment trained on us. Uh, we we would have we would have lost huge numbers of U.S. troops had we tried to stay. This this is just again you know the the fantasy of building the Afghan army. I just can't tell you how 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 far this was from reality.
1: In looking at the lessons uh, of what's transpired not only in the last 20 years, but in the last you know, 20 days, um, is this a failure of uh, military? Is it a failure of the State Department? Is it a failure of exclusively presidential uh, politics? Uh,
13: where does the blame go? Or does anybody get away without blame? Well, the fundamental, fu- fundamentally here is when we start to individualize blame, it goes to four presidents. There are four presidents at issue here. So we need to recognize that there, the buck does stop somewhere in the United States um, and it stops squarely on the desk of president. And we've now had four presidents that have had to deal with this, uh, this issue. So uh, now underneath that, Uh, We can talk about, um, you know, the options and so forth that were put in front of those in those presidents. Uh, But the idea that we were really going to do uh, nation building, even when we said we weren't doing it anymore, we're still trying to do it. Um, This uh, was uh, we, we thought we had learned a lesson from Vietnam that we couldn't do nation building. Um, after 9-11, maybe we were just so wounded as a country that the American psyche was so wounded somehow, possibly we just had to put that uh, lesson out of our, our minds. We, we don't have a great explanation for that, but where the buck really stops are, uh, is with the president and we've had four presidents here. Um, and so far it's really just been the last who's really decided to rip the band-aid off of this fantasy. Um, and unfortunately, you're seeing all the rot that was underneath that fantasy just coming into into the sunlight.
1: The focus of of Afghanistan, it's it's the the war may not be with us as a discussion point, but certainly the fallout, the resettlement of of tens of thousands of Afghanis coming to the United States, trying to rebuild their lives here. As, as you look at that monumental process, which we. Talk briefly about last Sunday night, and we'll talk about it in future programs. Um, is there some fear that you have about all of these Afghans, Afghani's that are coming here? Uh, they all have, or many have allegedly been vetted, but again, there are reports that uh, many have not. Are you worried about any of them?
13: Uh, yeah, yeah, yes. We we do need to be aware that it would not be at all a surprise for ISIS-K to want to secret in somebody uh, or maybe more than somebody right. um uh among uh these refugees um uh so we in afghanistan uh many of your viewers will know that the cia thought they had worked with a certain doctor who had turned on the bad guys and then he turned on them as a suicide bomber and mm-hmm. killed uh uh eight uh, cia officers here in afghanistan so we have seen you know these this this kind of thing before um, unfortunately, um, what we need to rely on are um, uh, is, is kind of new vetting procedures at, uh, in Doha, in Bahrain, in these more uh, staging bases now where we have the refugees. Um, but this is just part of, unfortunately, the price of, of ending this fantasy. Given, given the numbers involved and the, and the quickness with which
1: this has, has, was supposed to have been done, isn't it, isn't it realistic that again there's probably a number of them that slip through the vetting cracks
13: uh... it's 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 not i wouldn't say you can't put a risk number on it uh... so i understand bruce people want to put a number on it and say well it's high medium or low it's yeah. just not possible in an emergency situation like mm-hmm. this Um the, what you can do is you can recognize there was an emergency to move those refugees to staging bases um, and now that they're at staging bases, that's where the real vetting process has to really begin. And so I think that we need to spend time, not just fly people from Doha here to, or Qatar to the United States on the next train, next plane, we need to really understand that we need um, serious vetting that has to occur. That's going to be a diplomatic problem with those countries that have taken those refugees. It's going to be a practical problem um, for, um, uh, for our, 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 our State Department and our CIA, but it is nonetheless the problem that we, um, we face now that we, instead of moving them out slowly uh, since last March is when we should have started, trying to move everybody out in just a few weeks, here as many as we could, this just has now pushed all those problems here uh, forward. It hasn't stopped all those problems of vetting. Um, it has now just moved them and moved them into a more difficult situation to solve. Um, that is really just, uh, again, the um, we're gonna be looking for months and if not years to understand how we could have gotten this withdrawal uh, plan so far off. Um, but this this is just one of the many issues to be answered uh, in the coming months and years.
1: Professor, I, I want to thank you very much for being with us tonight, and I want to thank you very thank you. much for being with us many times over the last 20 years, offering your insight uh, for my listeners on this program. I do appreciate it. But one last word. To those who gave uh, their lives uh, in in support of uh, this effort in Afghanistan, obviously their hearts are heavy, the families are are heavy tonight, not just the 13 lost uh, last week, but uh, again almost 2,500 over the last 20 years. Uh, Did they die in
13: vain in your view? They, they died for the wall that is good in America that stands as a shining symbol. That doesn't mean America gets everything right. It doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. It means that America is a shining symbol because we can fix mistakes. So what we need to understand is those who die died for all that is the best of America. That doesn't mean sticking with something because you decide, once you know what's wrong, it means you do what is best. And that is what has been great about our country, and that has been, and that is what is so great about the people who put their lives and give, as Lincoln said, the last full measure for our country.
1: Professor Pape, thank you very much for being with us. That's Professor Robert Pape from the University of Chicago, who's joined us uh, as our special guest this evening. Uh, Bob, thanks very much for for being with us. Uh, we and can
13: thank you, Bruce, and all you've done for the many
1: years. Thank, thank you. you very much. Uh, we continue. Got another couple of minutes in this segment. Uh, any further comment you want to make to summarize the this yeah, discussion?
3: Yeah, I, I. We're not done yet, but go ahead. Well. I, I thought the professor's closing remarks were very poignant and moving about the, the question of dying in vain, and I thought it was a great question by you. And it's something that I've thought about a lot. Uh, uh, my, my, my own brother served in, uh, the, uh, in Iraq in the second uh, Gulf War back in uh, 2003 and 2004. And he's he's fine, but you know there's a lot of people who have fought and died for our country.
2: Patrick, that's right. There's something incredibly noble about being willing to put your life into danger uh, for the protection of not only Americans but of Afghans that folks served with. Um, And so I think that's incredibly noble. And I would just uh, I would also reflect that as we think about the risk of folks coming to our country and the risk of uh, folks in special immigrant visas. Uh, We also should think about the level of support and welcome that we want to give them as they come to the United States. They've done such a service for us, and we owe them nothing less.
1: When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about that particular point. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks very much for joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. One more segment coming up.
13: We all have the ability to touch the lives of those around us. To someone going through a difficult time, a text, a call, or a visit can mean so much. Reach out to the veterans in your life today. Let them know they're not alone. One simple act can make all the difference. That's the power of one. If you're a veteran in crisis or no one who is, visit VeteransCrisisLine.net for free, 24-7 confidential support. Let's
9: be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration
0: and the Ad Council. 145 over 92. 180 over
7: 111. 182 over 100.
4: And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke.
5: Your blood pressure numbers could change your life.
6: A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke.
7: My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't
5: speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life,
6: but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back to ask your doctor check your blood pressure.
5: Brought to you by the American Heart Association,
8: American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.
1: Ruston back. thanks very much for joining us. Before we say farewell, because uh, we've got a few more minutes here, I do want to mention that uh, next week on the program, it will be, uh, obviously, it will be September 12th and there will be great deal of uh, discussion and commemorative uh, discussions about uh, what happened uh, in 2001 on uh, in this country Uh, and next week we will add to that uh, by having uh, several survivors of the 9-11 attack one at the Pentagon one at uh, the World Trade Center Uh, they will be joining us to share their thoughts and opinions and uh, uh, something that we were going to do which is now an alteration in our plan And I do want to share it with you because this is something that we were going to run on the radio next Sunday night. But we are not going to do that. However, we are going to make it available on all of our platforms of Beyond the Beltway, both radio and video and audio. Uh, And then that is we are going to play the 20th anniversary broadcast that we did from Stockholm, Sweden, just days after the attack in 2011. Gada Telhami, the professor from Lake Forest College, she was with us 20 years ago. Art Seer, uh, from the Claussen uh, professorship at Carthage College, uh, he will be with us not only on the show from 20 years ago; he will be in studio as well. So again, uh, again, this this will be on our platform. It's not going to be on the air on the radio. But if you go to BeyondTheBeltway.com, that's where you will be able to find not only the, the radio, but also uh, the presentation of that program. And again, it, it's fascinating. I, I listened to it a couple of weeks ago. It's fascinating to get same day, uh, oh, not same day, it was about three hours, uh, three days later, but an almost instant reaction to what was happening in the world what we thought was a good idea what we thought was a bad idea our emotions were talking our intellect was talking and again it'll be a good uh, flashback a moment in time uh, to share with you at beyond the that will start next sunday september 12th joining us now uh... we have a special phone caller uh... and, and that is an old friend of this program charles Lipsum also from the University of Chicago. Charles, thanks very much for for joining us on our broadcast. We've only got a few minutes left, but uh, you had an opportunity to listen, uh, uh, albeit briefly, to some points that uh, President uh, Biden were making to the nation because he was addressing the nation uh, as we concluded, uh, as we were taping uh, the program that everyone has heard for the last two hours. So summarize what the president had to say.
14: It was one of the most disturbing uh, and I would say dishonest speeches that I've ever heard a president uh, make. He said that our withdrawal from Afghanistan was a, a basically a complete success, and he used uh, words like success. Um, it wasn't. He said uh, that we got 90% of the Americans out that we wanted to get out, as if that was a triumph. He had promised to get all of them out. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say that in Manhattan on uh, September 11, 2001, over 99% of all the skyscrapers remained standing. No. Uh, I don't consider that a triumph. Right. Uh, when he talked about the people we got out, he talked only about uh, Americans. I don't know if he was including green card holders, and he certainly wasn't including families. To the extent, after saying it was all a success, all the problems were apparently due to Donald Trump. I mean, he continued, he, there, he doesn't seem to understand that there's an expiration date, like on uh, old old stakes at a, a supermarket, there's an expiration date on how long you can continue to blame your predecessor. And finally, he, uh, he says that we have concluded our uh, mission there because we accomplished what we wanted to, which was to prevent Afghanistan from becoming a terrorist haven. But that's precisely what it has now become. He uh the, with not only with the Taliban, which now has Americans not just as uh, stragglers or people who are staying behind, but as potential hostages, uh, they can negotiate uh, with us on the basis that they're holding our people. Uh, and there are Charles.
1: Uh, let, al- me, let, has come Charles back. let me let me interject yeah. just for a moment, based yeah. just on your on your last. I'm time. just
4: outraged. No, I, I'm I just outraged. I,
1: I, I understand, but let let let, yeah. let me let me interrupt your outrage with a question. <laughs> Based based on what we know, based on media coverage from a wide variety of media, it appears that the Taliban was cooperating with the American military as part of the exit strategy for Americans. They were providing safe coverage, getting into the airport using secret secret methods. There have been other examples of where the Taliban appears to be cooperating with American military. Do you give the Taliban any credit at all for at least trying to provide some semblance of credibility in the closing days of the war?
14: They did some things to help us. The fundamental mistake here was not... uh, There were two very big ones toward the end. One was closing Bagram... Airbase, which apparently all the military and diplomatic people said, Oh, this is a great idea. It was a terrible idea. And then the other thing was that we should have evacuated in the winter. That's the reason uh, that Trump's uh, deadline was in May. They wanted to do it before the fighting season. Uh, Joe Biden, at age 78, taking his first. A decision-making position in his life, he, he made the decision that he would evacuate them in the middle of the fight. But positions. but again, going, a, going getting disaster. getting
1: getting back to what the Taliban has said, and they, I, they, I understand they that nobody nobody wants. But uh, but but again, they have also yep. said they are going to work on making sure that uh, the terrorists, specifically ISIS-K, do not set up a a a, a, a launching pad for terrorist attacks. Now, again, that's what they say. And again, you should judge people by what they do, not by what they say. But the Taliban has said some things that might be viewed as a positive, or at least as some, you know, I don't even want to say red flag, or you know, I don't want to say it, I don't want to overdo it. But again, uh, do we have to consider that and give them the benefit of the doubt you don't sound like you want to give them the benefit of the doubt
14: the Taliban wants to prevent ISIS-K from becoming a power in Afghanistan because the Taliban wants to control the country but you didn't hear the Taliban say that they wanted to stop the Uh, Al Qaeda You didn't hear them say that They wanted to stop the Haqqani network Actually Charles on that point
1: Charles, uh, Thank you very much We are out of time We're running into our break Thank you very much for joining us this evening I'm Bruce Dumont
4: In a matter of seconds She turned herself into a great mathematician Or an entrepreneur Her knowledge was limitless And still is she could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces. Just by giving her a bear hug, she masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom.
10: Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org/caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three.
11: That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org.
12: Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner, Carol, or my karaoke enemy, Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org.
11: Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness
0: partners. 145
7: over 92. 180 over 111.
4: 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood
5: pressure numbers could change your life.
6: A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke.
7: My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak.
6: Lowering
5: your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life,
6: but I'm going to make it better. I'm uh, coming back to ask your doctor check your blood pressure.
5: Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association,
11: and the Ad Council. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry, we're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters.